Hey guys, it's RJ and Angie, and this is the Rich by Intention podcast. On this episode, we have a special couple, Drs. Nee and Renee Darko. Drs. Nee and Renee Darko are both physicians and realized they were drowning in over a half a million dollars of student loan debt and living paycheck to paycheck. Through teamwork, they were able to pay off a half a million dollars of debt in three years. Not only were they free of student loan debt, but they quit their W-2 jobs to become entrepreneurs, starting three successful businesses. You're really going to learn a lot from their story. We hope you enjoy. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We met the Darkos um, at FinCon 2018. And, you know, I, I think, you know, Renee, you and I had met first and your energy was just so amazing. Like I was just so, I was gravitated towards you. Like, and we had an amazing conversation. I think we got stuck at like a pizza, <laughs> a pizza uh, place. And we were just talking for hours and, you know, just hearing your story. And just, I was so grateful to have made that connection with you that day. And we've been talking and hitting each other up ever since. So, you know, you guys have been an inspiration to us, my husband and me. You know, one of the things I remember about when we first met, we learned from you that you guys labeled your years. I don't, do you guys still do that? Yeah. Yes. So we learned that yep. from you and we actually took that from you guys. So we now label each year. Um, and so this year is the year of intention. Well, no, that's not it. The year. <laughs> Don't worry. Me never gets it right either. <laughs> exactly. So no, you guys have been a huge inspiration to us. So we're super grateful. And so, yeah, I think, can you just tell our listeners a little, a little bit about yourselves? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. And the um, sentiments are definitely mutual. Um, I, I do remember that FinCon 2018 and meeting you and you were just, both of you, first of all, were just such a cute couple, first of all. <laughs> but I remember meeting Angie and just being like, man, this young lady really has her head on her shoulders. And um, we just talked and talked and talked about all the things um, that we're going to be talking about on this podcast. But my name is Renee Darko. Um, I'm an OBGYN. And when I am not necessarily delivering babies or in the operating room, I am basically doing stuff to help underrepresented minority students get into medical school. And so I have um, a business called Premed Strategies. Um, and alongside my husband, I have a couple of other ventures, which you'll be getting into very shortly, but I'll let him introduce himself first. Uh, my name is Nee Darko. I'm a trauma surgeon and uh, I have a podcast that I've been doing for the past five years called Docs Outside the Box. It's a podcast where we talk about the three M's which are money, medicine, as well as, sorry, money, mindset, excuse me, and mission. And uh, the show premises, if you do those three things, you can earn control of your life and just make yourself a doc outside the box. So that's been the really big venture for me. Um, obviously, between me and my wife, we've been working together to spread the, the notion um, that, you know, you don't have to live with your debt, that you can have a very intentional uh, life um, without necessarily following the traditional path. So mm -hmm. um, we're excited to be here. Yeah. I remember meeting you guys. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, but we had just got back from Ghana. Um, mm -hmm. So yep. by the time we had met you guys, like we were like totally exhausted. Like, <laughs> Jet lag. Super hyped to meet like a whole bunch of different people from different backgrounds. And the fact that y'all from Jersey and y'all were killing it and y'all were newlyweds, it was just, you know, just great energy. So we're excited. Yeah. yeah, Jersey is the best state, you know. I just want to throw it out there for our mm, listeners. New York is, but okay. Connecticut is, I mean. I've been living in Jersey since 1988, and I can't say that Jersey is the best state. Oh, RJ. Yeah, the, taxes, the taxes are too high. Burn. Just like, uh, I, could do, I could do Atlanta. I could do maybe, I could do New York, maybe like Brooklyn or something. Oh, like that. wow. Jersey. I mean, I'm just going to say this. I don't live in Jersey. Jersey lives in me. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can live with that. Okay, thank you. Ironically, we now live in Jersey, but whatever. <laughs> we only here because family here. That's all. I know, right? You go where family goes, right? Family first. Car taxes, you know, or not car taxes, but car insurance and then property taxes and all that stuff. And the rent is too high. You know? So it's just like... Wait, hold on. No, no bashing. You know, this is a bash free. <laughs> <laughs> bash is so true, 
Oh man. So so you guys married. How long have you been married? We've been married for eight years now. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what is going on? Literally in what? Nine not even in five months? Yeah. It'll be eight years. So Don't listen to her. She's just playing David. I, I like that you're rounding up. Uh, rounding up. I, That's I, me. Uh, right. I round up. I'm the one. Right. And it would make things real awkward. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I just said it's been eight years. Come on now. Seven and, plus. Seven plus. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And and how how did you guys meet? Uh, we met in um, actually we met over the phone mm-hmm. right before we started medical schools. So we had a mentor who was recruiting to that school. Um, she, he knew her first. Mm-hmm. recruited her to that school and then when there were more and more people who were going to go to that to that med school he started putting people in touch with each other so that when the by the time school started there was like a group of like cohorts from you know new york a group of cohorts from you know wherever so we spoke we first spoke on the phone like uh i think like two or three months before school actually mm-hmm. started i just called her house and just said hey my name is Nee. you know i'm going to be going to kansas city and blah 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 and then you know, she spoke and then she liked my voice and you know how it is. Now the rest is uh you know how it is, you know what I'm saying? So, anyway. And she she couldn't resist. Yeah, no. So so what's the real version of Renee? So the real version is true up until the point where he said I heard his voice and couldn't resist. He does, but, he got a deep voice. <laughs> I thought he was a cornball. <laughs> but we eventually met in Kansas City in person. So I was living in New York. He was living in Jersey at the time. We eventually moved to Kansas City, met in person in Kansas City. We used to study together at times and eventually he couldn't resist. And, you know, just sweat me. You know what I mean? (laughs) Look at his face. (laughs) Marriage stories are always different, different perspectives. We have a different story too, so. For the the sake of the length of the podcast episode, we started studying, we went from study partners to developing a relationship. Yeah. And, you know, we're here now. Okay, that's cute. I like that. I like it. So, you know, one of the things that, um, that we like to ask couples, you know, like, so what led you to initiate a relationship? You know, like you said that you guys were study partners, you know, helping each other out, pass those exams in med school. But like, what led you to actually start this relationship? Like, what was it about each other? Um, I mean, I guess, you know, when you spend a lot of time with someone, um, uh, I think you start to kind of know their personality and see whether or not you jive with them. And, you know, for me, like we got along pretty well. So and we were striving for the same thing. Obviously, we were in medical school. So that, you know, just that commonality between us, I think, um, was enough to kind of at least attract each other, um, even as just as friends. But eventually, you know, I thought he was cute. (laughs) I thought he was cute. And, you know, he was just genuinely a nice person. The other thing is, actually, I had met, I think, a couple of a couple members of his family, at least your mom, I think I had met at one point in time. And for me, you know, it's I think that when you meet someone's family, it gives you a lot of insight into that person. Um, And so he had a really nice family. And I think, you know, that really, I think, put him over the edge for me. Um, For me, it's very, very similar story. Um, You know, we were just struggling, you know, like we're in a struggle together, not actually struggling, but we were in the struggle of studying. I think that was that common thing that kind of kept us together, at least or brought us together. Um, But for me, you know, I was raised by, you know, immigrant mother and father. And the thing for us that was always drilled is that you like not to get serious until you get your degrees, basically. Right. And it was just always something that would linger in me. So we would date, but I just was never ready to kind of take that step. You know, I almost learned the hard way that sometimes if you like follow someone else's path, that you can lose someone who's really close to you and stuff. So willing to date, willing to kind of get serious, but just always kind of like, I got to get my degrees first. I got to do all these different things first because, you know, life happens and all of a sudden you get, you know, sidetracked. So luckily she put up with me uh, an extended period of time. And then when I was ready, I was ready. But I think the big thing was I met her family. I met her, you know, she was always, you know, someone that I was always admired. I think, you know, looking back at the women that I dated before her, it was just like, well, we're just dating and having fun. Um, But this was someone who I was dating, having fun with, and someone who I actually admired her spirit, admired her drive, um, admired, you know, just the ability for her to kind of just think forward 
and I just never met anybody like that. So she actually challenged me. So that was the reason why I, I could continue to pursue the relationship. But definitely a message for the men listening is that sometimes you don't get do-overs. So you just got to be really smart about who you find and just do right by that person and not always follow someone else's plan because oftentimes that person who you're with is not following that plan also. So Yeah, I started singing Music Soul Child in my head. Love. <laughs> That's one of his songs that he always sings as a joke too. Oh yeah, that, oh that's my song, like number one on the playlist. Um, but yeah, no, yeah but no, th- thanks for sharing that, guys. That's that's awesome. So yeah. so you get married, you decide to tie the knot, um, but you have uh, you have this huge amount of debt, and you pay off uh, extraordinary amount of six hundred and sixty-two thousand in debt. Yeah, which is so impressive. Um, can you take us a little bit through the journey of paying that off and the strategies you use to get there? What we used to do on other episodes podcasts, when people would ask us, we would just say, okay, we did A, B, C, and D, right? And I think that oftentimes, yeah, I think you can have like a black and white mathematical conversation with people and let them know what's going on. But I think what's missing is, you know, the reason why we wanted to pay off the debt. So if, if, if you will, like, we'll tell you why. Like, I think for me, I wanted to be a doctor because, well, I grew up in half of my life or well, half when I, my childhood, I grew up in Queens, New York, and then we moved to Irvington, New Jersey. So for me, like I grew up in this place called Lefrak City, um, large kind of co-op type of uh, city complex. And then from there, we moved to Irvington, New Jersey. So for me, growing up watching the Cosby show um, was very aspirational for me, right? Cliff, Cliff, uh, Heathcliff Huxtable was an extremely aspirational figure for me. He had a beautiful wife. He had a brownstone. He lived in Brooklyn. Um, you know, just seemed like just something that I wanted to aspire to. And you got to remember, I grew up right across the street from Shea Stadium, right? So the Mets, the Knicks, the Nets, the basketball, football, and all these different things. But for me, what I gravitated to was something that I saw on TV. And there was a certain life that I wanted to have. And there was a certain level of control that I wanted to have. And I just remember as I started learning what it took to become a doctor. I was like, oh, I get to be in, you know, control. I control my, my, my life. I'm going to be a very, have a very comfortable lifestyle. And it was just always the things in my back of my head. And then I think when you fast forward that to when you're signing these promissory notes, you're always in the back of your mind, like, yeah, this is a lot of debt, right? Like, for example, I graduated from undergrad with $25,000 in student loan debt. My first year, that $25,000 was only a fraction of how much I took out for my first year. Was, right? uh, yeah. When you put in medical school, way. right? So yeah, you look at it and you're like, whoa, this is huge, but you're just yeah. signing it. And then that's it. It just goes to the cloud and you just think, well, as a doctor, I'll be okay. Right. I'll be just fine. And then once you get into residency, when you finish residency and you graduate from medical school, you get six months of grace period. And then they start sending you a coupon book and they start sending stuff to your house. And you're like, ah, I can't make the payments because I got to pay. For me, I had a, a, a house, a town home, and I just really wasn't really good with my money. But I just knew I started like kind of ducking all of these, you know. <laughs> yeah. So it's like ducking the repo, man. Ducking. So I have a question. <laughs> and then when it came to us actually getting married and us merging our finances, that's when it really hit, right? Because it was just like, wait, I graduated with $240,000 of student loan debt those six years in between of graduating medical school and now actually working, like being able to work on my own, my student loans have ballooned by over Mm $90,000. And now we have $330,000, which is a multitude of how much our salary is. Like there's a problem here. So like after, after you graduated from medical school, you guys did your residency, possibly fellowships. Did you, once you started making doctor money, as they call it, did you inflate your lifestyle at all? Or were you kind of, you know, just living how you were when you were interns or residents? Yeah, we didn't actually. I mean, you know, one of the things that I think we were very lucky as a couple to have was that we both were in a mindset of, okay, we don't have to have all the luxury, you know? So me mentioned he grew up in an immigrant house household. So that, so did I. And so my parents, you know, when they came here, they didn't have much. And so I learned that I didn't have to live with a whole bunch of stuff. I didn't have to have the latest sneakers. I didn't have to have the latest this, that, or the other. And so, you know, it was fine. But I think we were very lucky in that not many people actually have two, you know, or in a couple have two people who are not necessarily spenders. Okay. And so that was us. We are savers. I'm not really a saver. You are a saver. 
Okay. <laughs> well, at least we're both not spenders, I should say. I just didn't know what to do. Mm. But we're, we're, we're not spenders. And I think that that's more, you know, that's more important than actually not being a saver. Because if you're not a spender, then at, at the very least, you know how you can save. Right. Mm-hmm. And you just need to learn how. But like me said, he came in at that point, he was $330,000 um, in student loan debt. And I had similar um, same, exa- same exact. Amount. Yeah, almost the same exact amount wow. of debt. And that's how we get to the $662,000 um, worth of student loan debt. We were also very fortunate that we did not have much in terms of like consumer debt. Right. So we didn't have a whole bunch of cars and, you know, we didn't buy a house. Um, we did have a rental property. We yeah, we did have a rental property. But that was only because when he graduated from medical school, he actually bought a house. I thought I deserved a house. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of I think a lot of um, physicians kind of have that same idea, you know, like, you know, I worked this hard. I've been in school for how, however many years. Right. For almost a decade. And it's like I deserve to have these things now. And so a lot of, you know, a lot of the stories we hear is that, you know, they inflate their lifestyle or not even that, you know, a lot of people have these assumptions about the salaries of doctors. And so they feel obligated, I think, especially coming from immigrant households we feel obligated to help our family, right? Once we're making, you know, a nice salary. So, so yeah, I think, I think that's, that's relatable to a lot of listeners. So. Well, well, that's what ended up happening with us. So once we we realized that we had a whole bunch of debt, Mm -hmm. we actually, she came up with the idea of just for the next three months, let's just document what's going out. And the majority of the money that was going out was helping our parents. um, But also like kind of freely just spending, yeah. Not because we are big spenders, but just kind of like, well, there's no plan with the money. So, right. you know, we would buy things, not like I want these pair of J's or she wants, you know, whatever is the equivalent right. and stuff like that. It was just, let's just, just we, no budget, no budget. We have the money. So let's just spend it. Right. And we did that for three months. And that's when we realized that, whoa, like we got to be really smart about this. And the whole concept of deserving could be something that's really intoxicating, right? Because yeah, you can afford certain things that you couldn't afford before, right? Like maybe you can afford a nicer car. Maybe you can afford, you know, nicer clothes. The thing that is the problem though, I think with people who make more money or get a better salary is they try to afford everything. So they want the nice car. They want the nice shoes. They want the nice vacation. They want the Tesla. They want the, you know, the six bedroom everything. The airstrip. They want all of that stuff. Right. And then that then makes, you know, they find themselves in a situation where they can't save because every check that they get is paying for those things. For they just don't that, realize right? And they're not saving. Yeah, no, it's definitely so true. One thing that you mentioned was when you put your finances together. I know that's kind of a, that's a topic that a lot of married couples come across, you know, whether it's, you know, his and her money or our money or my money and some of it's your money. (laughs) So can you take us through that transition? Was it seamless or did you have to, you know, uh, really get down to the, to the needle to, to figure out how to actually do it without affecting the marriage? It was actually really easy. What are you talking about? I tried to flex flex a little bit. So I was like, me not a prenup agreement right whoa wow mind you we dated for 10 years before we got married was it 10 or 9 it was like 9 it was 10 (laughs) and i want to use whole numbers then you got a problem right so why don't you go back to using the the, 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 nine and a half right yeah 9.5 i gotta deal with So, so i was like well why don't we do a prenup Right. And I was like, because, you know, like, you never know what could happen. (laughs) I didn't have anything. She didn't have anything. So so they want the real, right? Yes, we want the real. So that quickly got X'd out, right? That got vetoed. And then, uh, what was the question? How do we decide to merge? Yes, yes, merge your finances. I think we just, well, you tell it. You tell it better than I do. Well, no, I mean, it was just very simple. We just decided that we were going to put our money together. What happened was in 2014, we kind of came to a realization about our financial situation, right? Now, even before that, though, we, we got married in 2013, um, in November of 2013. So we quickly went into 2014. But we realized our financial situation and also realized that the only way that we were going to get through this was if we worked together. And so that meant putting our money together. Now, backtrack a few years, probably like eight years 
we actually had gone to a financial presentation. You remember um, with Sasha? We went to a financial presentation and it was of a financial planner, actually. And one of the things that he talked about was that when he married his wife, she came in with student loan debt and he did not. And the way that they ended up paying off the student loan debt was that they lived off her salary because her salary was the lower salary. And then his salary, they just threw at the debt and they were able to pay off the debt very quickly. Um, the difference in that story was that apparently his wife was a really big spender buying red bottoms and all this stuff. And he made her take the shoes back. But <laughs> we were fortunate got a refund? to have that. <laughs> you mean I got to take these red bottoms back? Yeah, you need to take them back. But we were fortunate that, again, we did not have the type of relationship where one person was a, a big spender and the other one wasn't. I, I do have to say that prior to this, though, prior to the, like us coming together to put the money together, it wasn't so. Yes, I did bring up the whole notion of a prenup agreement, and then that got quickly vetoed. But in my mind, I was kind of raised up with the notion of you have your money, I have my money, and then we have money together, right? It's kind of like you handle your loans, I handle my loans, and then whatever we put together will take care of like the household items. That was kind of something in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until she showed me the math of us putting our money together and paying off debt together, you know, just how powerful us putting our income together and living off of, you know, the lower salary, what we could really accomplish and how Mm -hmm. fast we can like multiply paying off our debt. For me, it wasn't very hard, but it was just, I just, I have to be very open and honest and let people know those are the thoughts that were in my head. Yeah. And I didn't grow up like that. I grew up in a household where my parents just, you got one bank account, everybody put their money in that account. Wow. <laughs> yeah, right. Just put their money in that account. And um, you know, pretty much that's that's how my so, household so was run. When you when you guys you said you dated for like 10 years, nine, 9.5 <laughs> years. <laughs> so when you guys were dating, did you did you have any money conversations um, you know, and before you got married? Her money was her money. Like we never like we were dating. Right. Like we were date, like we didn't do the living together type thing. Yeah. Like I said, immigrant family, like you don't live together until you get married. So like her, what she did with her money was her money. Yeah. I did with my money was my money. We never, there was never a situation where we needed to put money together outside of literally getting married, like paying for the wedding and so forth. Yeah. How she handled her money was how she handled her money. How I handled my money was how I handled my money. But from afar, I could see that she handled her money good. Mm. Yeah. For me, she can tell like for the most part, like I had a house, you know, I had a nice Jetta. Jetta. Shout out. I mean, use Jetta, but but either way, like we, she could tell that we were both. You could tell from the outside looking in, like we handled our money okay. Okay, that's good. Um, But we did have it's. It's funny, even though we didn't live together, you know, prior, we did have a lot of money exchanged between us. Um, You know, like if we would go out. You know, he pays, I pay, whatever. We didn't really have that. Oh, if he gonna ask me out, he gotta pay. You know, it, it wasn't really like that, right? So we we truly kept kind of the friendship, you know, even within the relationship. So we did have a lot of money that went between us. If he needed something, I'd be like, okay, here's whatever. You know, there wasn't any borrowing per se. We would just give each other stuff if we just needed to. Um, it wasn't commingling of money. Right. But it wasn't commingling. <laughs> but again, just in that exchange and being able to see how we interacted when it was financial, um, I think was really important. That was, I think, very pivotal in, in recognizing how we were going to get along once we did get married. Well, I, th- I think the other, other thing, too, that she like this is the part where I admire her because she brings a good perspective. Of, well, look, like if we can't bring our money together. Right. So if we're getting married. And I can't trust my wife with certain decisions, you know, or trust my wife for us to put our money together and then for us to come together and make wise decisions, then why are we getting married? Right. And then when you look at it also from the perspective of, you know, well, if you have your money and I have my money and then we have money for the household, what happens with retirement? Right. Like if I'm supposed to be taking care of my retirement and then she's supposed to be taking care of her retirement and I hit my number like five years before she does, what happens then? Do I be like, hey, I'm going to the Caribbean. Tequila. Keep working for five years. Beach. Like this is the Shawshank Redemption. You know what I'm like, catch me when you're ready. Like does that? It doesn't make much sense in that mm-hmm. sense. So that's when I was like, well, she's right. 
So we do need to work together and combine our funds together. And once she brought that perspective to me, you know, a lot of that toxic masculinity or toxic type things went away because the math just makes sense. And it makes sense for the relationship. You know? Exactly. No, we we're huge advocates of married couples combining their finances. That's something that RJ and I did to pay off our debt in a shorter amount of time, you know, and like there's a lot of power um, when you do combine your finances. It's amazing the things that you can do when you're working as one. Um, you're managing your finances as one. You're talking about the budget together as one. You know, you're going to be able to make a lot of treadway when you're working together. Yeah. And, and, and you're, sh- you're stronger together. Um, you know, of course, you have to be on the same page. You have to have the same mindset, same values, you know, before you put it together. So, you know, for for couples out there, what advice do you have for putting money together? <laughs> I, I think, look, I'll preface this by saying that not every married couple should put their money together, right? Because sometimes you just have really um, hard-headed spouse sometimes who, you know, no matter what you tell them, they just can't get it together, but you are still married, right? And if you continue down that path of trying to put money into uh, putting money together and then the other person is spending it, then what you're doing is is you're you're kind of ignoring the hazard to that relationship in terms of how you're going to live your life and maybe even you have kids, how their their lifestyle is going to be also. But if you're on the same page together, then yeah, I think definitely the ability to put the income together and multiply that and dream together is an extremely powerful thing. Right. So, for example, like, you know, like we have we have like her, she has her money and I have my money in terms of like what we budget together and she can spend on whatever and I can spend on whatever. But we kind of trust each other where like, for example, if I just wanted to buy some Jordans, like I could go and buy it. Am I going to do it? No. But I just know that I can do it because I know that she's not going to trip if I do it. Or, you know, if she decides to go and spend money, I just know that she's responsible enough to do something that makes sense. Right. So we don't really keep track of each other's spending like that because we just trust each other. Right. Yeah. So if she decides to do something big, it's just like, hey, I decided to buy this. What do you think? And then go and do it. Right. So I think that's the big thing is that we trust each other. And I think whoever's listening, trust each other, dream together, know where you want to be 15, 20 years down the, the mm-hmm. line. And just know that some of those microscopic decisions that you make, you know, if they are in line with how you want your life to be, then it's not that big of a deal. Go ahead and move yeah. forward. Mm-hmm. That's how we look. That's how we work with our lives. Yeah, I would say definitely the trust factor is a is a big one. Um, you know, if I trust you enough to have children with you, then I should be able to trust you enough with money, right? Because my money is not my most precious thing. (laughs) Okay. Right. So, you know, let's put things into perspective. And the other thing is, you know, look at looking at money as a tool is, I mean, that is so very important for couples to realize that money is a tool to, is one tool that you have to be able to know how you're going to eventually live together. Because the purpose of a marriage anyway, for, I think for us, the purpose of a marriage is for us to be together, to spend as much time together as possible, right? And so if we can use certain tools to be able to do that, why wouldn't we use the tools the right way? And mm-hmm. so f- for us, using money in the right way will allow us to spend as much time together as possible, which is, you know, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but which is why we work the way that we work so that we can actually spend more time together as two, you know, physicians. Um, it can be very burdensome to, to be in medicine um, in terms of time. And if, if we don't have our money right, then that means we got to go to work to get it. And that means less time that we can spend together. So, and with that kid. Yeah, no, I mean, no, I think you guys are dropping a lot of gems for our listeners, you know, especially those that are married um, to just start, looking into their own, you know, internally looking into their own relationship and thinking about some of the conversations that they can begin having today with their partners. So, you know, I do want to go into a little bit of the strategies that you did use to pay off debt. So you mentioned that you combined your finances, which was a huge um, step in the direction that you wanted to go in terms of paying down this six hundred and sixty plus thousand dollar debt. So like what else did you guys do um, to to help, you know, eliminate the debt? So one of the things, the most important thing that we did was we made a pact. That was the most important thing. Right. So kind of like RJ mentioned, you know, you know, being on the same page, like that's really important. 
So we had to agree to be on the same page that we want to pay off the debt, that we will not create any more debt. That was a huge part of the pact that no matter what happens, we will not create any more debt than we already have. So that was step number one. I actually disagree with that. You disagree? Yeah, I would put that. (laughs) What was number one? The number one thing was knowing that there were other people out there who were able to pay off their debt early. I, okay. I did not know. Gotcha. So mm, I agree. And knowing that debt is not healthy for you. Wow. Knowing that people, every, there's a lot of people out there who are not paying their debt off according to the schedule of what they're given, i.e. like if their student loan company gives them 20 mm-hmm. or 30 years, they're paying it off in 20 and 30 yep. I didn't know that. I, I didn't know people were paying off their debt early. Right. I did not know that people were buying cars for cash, used cars for cash. I didn't know that at all. And once I started realizing that, that was a huge game changer for me uh-huh. uh, because we made a plan after we made a plan not to make any more debt. She, or during that time, she said, hey, I think we can pay off our debt early. And I was like, what are you talking about? Right. But then once I started understanding that, I was like, oh yeah, there is power to paying off our debt uh-huh. off early. Then it just became a quick, uh, a quick talk of, well, this is the numbers and how we pay it off. Otherwise I would have just been like, why don't we just stick to what, they told us to do like we'll pay off our debt in 20 years and then once she showed me the calculator you know if you go to a calculator online and you put in your debt and then you put in the interest rate and then according to how many years they want you to pay so if you put six hundred sixty-two thousand dollars over 10 or 20 years you're talking about close to 1.2 million dollars by the time you're done wow right Right. we're just like wait we would if we follow this we would just be Literally throwing money away, throwing yeah. an additional six hundred thousand dollars, paying for an extra degree. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly, exactly. You basically paying a million dollars for tuition. And we're like, yeah, this is not right, right. and that, and that, that's crazy. So I'll allow it yeah. as uh, number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so that was number one. Number two is making the pact, right, of no more debt. Um, number three was making a budget. Right. Mm -hmm. So before we made the budget, me mentioned earlier that we actually looked at three months worth of just spending like what we you know, what was going on in our household. And then we determined what the things were that we were spending a lot of money on. Yes, some of it was helping our family, but a lot of it was just food. Right. Just food. Right. You, You buy groceries, then you go in and dine out. Why? Why? Why are you doing that? Right. Like. So a lot of it was just food. And when we realized that, we were like, why are we spending so much money on food? (laughs) The other thing that we were spending a lot of money on, um, disproportionate to the amount of money that we were paying towards our student loans at the time, was actually insurance. So disability insurance, life insurance. It was just crazy. And I was like, wait a minute. You know, especially me was like, wait a minute. Why are we putting so much money towards insurance when we could be using some of that money to pay off our debt. Yeah. My whole thought process is like with insurance, I don't like, I know why you need insurance, but it just drives me nuts that you pay for something. And if that thing doesn't occur, you lose your money. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm spending so much money on it. Right. So yeah. for her, um, I don't know if the audience knows, at least in medicine, disability insurance mm-hmm. is way more expensive for a woman than it is for a man. Mm-hmm. For life insurance, it's opposite, right? Life insurance is way more expensive for a guy than it is for a woman. So her disability insurance was like almost twice that of mine. Mm-hmm. And then a life insurance that we had was whole life insurance. Mm-hmm. And during this time, we were listening to Dave Ramsey. Uh, we've since moved on to different, um, I think we've moved on to, I think, more responsible financial advisors and stuff. And um, we have just kind of were in this mindset with whole life insurance that was just like, this doesn't seem right. There's something about this whole life insurance that we have that doesn't work for us. Right. And once we realized that, wait, we're spending more money on this than we are on our student loans, something ain't right. And we actually had a conversation with our whole life insurance agent. And we talked to him and said, listen, like now that we've gotten married, a couple (laughs) things haven't occurred. One, you never called us back to say, hey, listen, now that you guys are married, like maybe you want to change the beneficiaries to each other. Maybe yeah. your life has changed and your, your expectations have changed. Let me give you something that is more in line with what's going on. Uh-huh. That conversation never occurred. And then two, we went to him and said, look, we're spending more on this than we are on our life insurance. You know, the disability. Like, disability. We'd like to make some changes. And his answer to us was, you need to budget better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a moment where we were upset right like who's this guy to tell us that we need to budget better 
but actually he was right. And once we But not to pay for more insurance. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And we understood that we're like, you know what? We're gonna budget you out. out Exactly. And we did the math and we just we got rid of our whole life insurance plans, got rid of our disability insurance plans that were really expensive. And we found more economical plans. So we got a term life insurance plan and then we found a disability plan that was way Way more economical. And that literally was the beginning of us literally like budgeting better and paying off our debt better. Right. And it completely transformed everything. Yeah. If we didn't realize that we were wasting money, then we started to realize how powerful our income was. Right. And she would tell you how to how we budgeted. Yeah. So we ended up um we ended up budgeting. Um like you said, we budgeted we budgeted things out of our lives that we felt that we didn't need anymore or we cut back severely on certain things. So like even with food, we were like, okay, we have to make a decision. Either we're going to dine out or we're going to buy groceries, but we're not going to do both. And so we opted to buy groceries and stay home, eat. We actually made a, a tight budget of about $200 a month. It was only the two of us at the time. We didn't have kids. Um, and then we allotted each one of us like 50 bucks each per month to, you know, get a little something if we're at work and, you know, we need X, Y, and Z really quickly. But we, again, we stuck to the budget and we did the budget every single month. At the beginning of every single month, we looked to see what was expected to come in for that month. And then we just budgeted down. Now, if we had any money left over, we basically threw it at the debt. And so, you know, in that budgeting model, like, We had zero money left, right? Just floating around because every single dollar pretty much had a place to go. Mm. And what I think we realized and what I think your your listeners hopefully are understanding is that budgeting is not a bad word, right? Uh, You know, when we think about budgeting, a lot of times people are like, oh, it's like, you know, a money diet. It's like, no, it's not a money diet. Think about (laughs) it like this. You go to work, right? You work pretty hard, don't you? Yeah. Right. Now, what if you worked so hard, you cashed your check, you walked outside and somebody took all that money from you? What would you think? You'd be mad, right? I'm calling the police. That's right. (laughs) You'd be mad because you don't know where your money's going right now. Right. You don't know where your money's going. You don't know where the thief took your money. You don't have it. So why is it okay, right? Why is it okay for you to not know where your money is going just because you're the one that's spending it? Right. You don't know where the money is going. Like at the end of the month, if you're not budgeting and I ask where exactly did your money go? You'd be like, I don't know. Like, I I don't know. I just bought stuff. It's like, listen, you work too hard for your money not to control where it goes. You have control over that money. So just budget it and just tell the money where to go. Even if you want red bottoms, if you want red bottoms, put the money towards the red bottoms, but at least know how much money you put towards the red bottoms. Don't just walk into the store and be like, give me them red bottoms. They're like, oh, $3,000. You're like, I didn't know it was going to be $3,000, but here you go. Right. At least know I budgeted $3,000 for these red bottoms at the very least. Yeah. I would never spend (laughs) $3,000. Choose with them. But, you know, that was really important Mm -hmm. for us as well. Um, The other thing was, and Nee kind of alluded to it, was that we made a timeline. The original timeline to pay off the debt was actually 15 years. Wow. Oh, my God. That was the original timeline. Then we cut it down to like five years. We actually started working with a financial planner Mm -hmm. and we cut it down to five years. And then one day me went to work and came back from work. He went to work. Actually, I wasn't working that day. And I was like calculating like crazy. And I was like, we could pay this sucker off in three years. And he was like, no. Remember? He was like, no. I was like, we could pay it off in three years. Like, come on. So I did the, I did the math. Yeah, she did it in front of me. I did the math. <laughs> and the way I came up to that number was, I did the numbers on on a calculator, but I wanted to make sure. So I actually called Sally Mae and I made them do the numbers for me. Mm -hmm. And I said, if I want to pay this debt off in one year, how much would the monthly payment be? So she told me that I said, if I want to pay it off in three years, in five years, what would those numbers be? And she told me. Oh my gosh. I love that you said that. And I think that's really helpful for our listeners because the fact that you called your loan provider and asked them 
gave them a, a duration that you wanted to pay it down in and they were able to calculate it for you. I know, you know, some sometimes these things can spe- feel daunting, right? Like, oh, I need to calculate this. I need to do the budget. I need to. But the fact that you just took the initiative and just decided to call them and see what mm-hmm. information they could give you. I think that's a huge gem and something that people can actually do today yes. <laughs> as they're listening after they listen. That was that was a game changer. Yeah. Because wow. at this point now we're budgeting, right? So then once she came with the number of one year versus two years versus three years versus five years, when you plug those into the budget, you're like, now this, we can make it work by doing this now. And once she was able to show that to me, I was like, yeah, we let's do it. Let's pay it off in three years. Now, it was a difficult conversation talking about budgeting because when you're budgeting, it really is about prioritization, right? So when we had our first meeting about it, it took a long time. It was like at least three or four hours of discussing what mm-hmm. we're going to pay first, what's going to be, you know, prioritized versus not. But for me, there was this huge weight off my shoulder when I knew the budget was done because we knew exactly where every cent was going. Mm-hmm. So for me, the way how I used to do things with when I first get a paycheck is I just know what I normally spend. And I try to hope that by the end of the month, I don't know <laughs> mental <laughs> math right yeah not terrifying but you're kind of just like i can't wait for that check to come in so that it can replenish yeah. towards the end of the month so nothing bounces but now that we knew exactly where all the money was going to literally at the beginning of the month we could do everything that we needed to do major with the money right, right. so we can pay off we can make huge student loan payments like on the second or third of each month we can put huge amounts of money into our savings mm-hmm. within the second or third of each month. Mm-hmm. We can do all these different things and that we know for the most part, we have enough money to buy groceries and, um, you know, just some small the bills for the mm-hmm. entire month. We're good. And when the next check comes in the same thing, we know exactly what we're going to do. So it took all of these things that were in my mind and just said, I ain't got to worry about it anymore because now we have a plan. Yeah. And I think if the listeners understand that, I think that's where, you can really get the advantage of budgeting is all the money or excuse me, all the, the energy that you're putting towards thinking about where your money's going, uh-huh. what you're going to do with your money. Do you have enough is gone now because yeah. you've already made a plan up to the cent as to what each and every single cent is going to do for you. Yeah. And once that occurs, game changer. Yep. Yep. Totally. I love that. So, so were there any other strategies that you guys, Oh, there's more. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would say one (laughs) of the things, one of the things was remember when we say no more debt, that means no credit cards and like nothing. Right. So what was really, really good for us was that we had an emergency fund started out small, but we had an emergency fund. And at that point, when we started our emergency fund, we actually decreased, um, what was it? Oh, we decreased our car premium. Remember? Yeah. We had decreased our, we ended up our car insurance, right? And increased our deductible, mm-hmm. right? So that that way we could, you know, basically save some money there. Well, <laughs> thankfully, we did that. Um, about two weeks after we started budgeting, basically, I backed into some uh, fire hydrant or something. Now, this is why I'm telling this story is because people don't realize how it's, how expensive car insurance can get. Mm-hmm. One, if you have a low deductible, your premium is higher. Number two, if you don't have an emergency fund, then what happens is you go and you make a claim, right? To your insurance company. Then what happens? Your premium increases. So because we had an emergency fund we didn't actually put a claim in. What we did was we used the money from our emergency fund to pay for the repair. And then we just replenished our emergency fund at our own pace. So we just owed ourselves at our own pace. So that was good as well. But yeah, that would be the, the I think, one of the strategies, I would say, have an emergency fund. That's awesome. And thanks for sharing the strategies that you had. No, I Um, think, can I just mm -hmm. add to this? I think the emergency fund is so important because life happens, right? Like we all just something, something unexpected is likely to happen. God forbid, but it happens. And I think a lot of times people put their emergencies on credit cards, which accrues more debt, but having that emergency fund and you can determine you know, that number and that you want to save in in the emergency fund. And I think just having that as a cushion is super, 
super helpful because, you know, it's just going to help you during a time of crisis so that you don't have to get into more debt. And I think that's huge. Yeah. And and we all experienced that, you know, with COVID-19 last year, it was showed, you know, that you needed emergency fund for things will happen. So you you should prepare for it. So I, I, I like, I love how you even just started this, this part of the conversation with how you guys took the time to look at three months worth of expenses to see where your money was going. A lot of people don't always take that step. To, you know, I think that's the first thing that you have to do before you even can create a budget is to really think about where your money has been by printing out statements, reviewing them, three months worth of statements and just reviewing them and seeing, you know, categorizing each line item, you know, like whether that's food, that's transportation, you know, developing the categories and then assigning each purchase to a category, and then adding them all up to see where your money is going, you know, like, Basically, where your money goes, that's what you value, right? And there's things like for us, it was, you know, paying a bunch of money on food, right? And, you know, hundreds of dollars a month. And, you know, we don't value that, right? Like we didn't need to spend that type of money on lunch every uh, every month. And so, you know, I think I love that you guys took the time to do the spend analysis to help you um, prioritize um, your money and within your budget. So yeah. that's a huge gem. And, and also you shared in terms of just really getting laser focus, things just started to happen. I know on our journey, you know, we thought we would pay off debt in about three plus years and ended up turning into one year. And it was just like, we never thought that was possible, but we were so focused with every single thing that we were doing that we end up paying off six figures worth of debt in a year. And we was just like, wow. Yeah. So, so you guys had the same experience. And it's just like, when you're intentional, when you're on the same page, where you're, you're taking the action, like great things begin to, to happen. So mm-hmm. that's, that's amazing. Um, but I wanted to pivot a little bit. Uh, you guys have a lot of businesses that you run, different uh, nonprofits, organizations that you, that you do, podcasts. So can you talk a little bit about you know, the entrepreneurship that you're, you're doing now, different businesses that you're starting and how you manage it being married? Yeah, absolutely. So I think me started kind of first. Yeah. With, so yeah. We have this, uh, we run this company together called Equal Access Health, and it is basically a temp agency for doctors. And it started out initially because when I finished my training, the last part of your training as a physician is, is called fellowship, right? That's when you are, you've already done like your general training. For me, it was surgery. And then I did an additional year of like really hyper-focused training in trauma and like critical care, ICU care. So after I finished that, I was working as a temporary, like working in temporary facilities because I wasn't sure exactly where I wanted to work. I wasn't sure what type of environment I wanted to work in. So I worked in these different hospitals. Like I worked in Idaho. um, I worked in Wisconsin. I worked in all of these different places and, um, you know, just got to see what it was like to live in different countries or different uh, states. Um, as well as, you know, just kind of figure out where I wanted to be. But one of the biggest things that I noticed is, is I was at this one hospital and they were using temporary place doctors there as surgeons. But this one hospital had doctors who were working in one temp agency. And then there was another temp agency that was created by doctors that were at that same hospital, same surgeons. And what I found out is that these surgeons were making pretty much either double to triple how much I was working or making in a 24-hour period, right? And I was like, wait, this doesn't make sense, right? Like, we're doing the same job, yes. And I'm going through a temp agency, yes. And they're going through a temp agency. It's just that it's a temp agency that they created. How are they able to create, how are they able to keep more of their money? And when I did the math, I'm like, wait, if I do this over 10, 15, 20 years, like there's a huge amount of money that I'm just leaving on the table. And that's when I decided that whenever I start working, I'm going to create my own company. I'm going to do everything on my own so that I become my own middleman, bring more money to myself. And then after a couple of years of this, um, Renee got um, the hospital that we were working at actually asked her to see if they could create some type of relationship between the local OB guy doctors at that hospital and our company, because they wanted a different type of relationship with them, basically, so to speak. And we said, okay, let's do it. So we'll have the doctors be temporary agents through our company and they will have a relationship with the hospital, which basically meant we would act as middlemen. And we would be in charge of everything from the schedule of when they would work, 
to how these doctors got paid mm -hmm. to all of these different things. And it was amazing. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty good. It was amazing <laughs> because part of that was literally having a direct relationship with the hospital. And we were to go between, between the doctors and the hospital and we would negotiate rates. We would uh, talk to the doctors about, you know, all of these different things that were in, par in part changing their mindset in terms of how they handled money, uh -huh. right? And a lot of them were used to just doing free work. Well, you know, my partner couldn't be there and let me just cover for them. And I'm like, right. no, that's not how it works. Yeah, you're going to get paid for it. You're going to get paid for that. And they're like, I didn't know you can do that. And it's like, yeah, yeah that's how it works. Right. So it was an extremely empowering, you know, uh, opportunity for us to understand how money worked yeah. and how the hospital looked at and valued, right? And what they valued really was just manpower. And what the doctors needed to value was control of their life and their well time and their time and being able to merge those two things together was is is just a really powerful thing so we kind of took off from there and said this is what we want to do at least part of our time with, with with a business standpoint so we do that and then renee she has a a, a coaching company or coaching business called pre-med strategies mm -hmm. you tell them about that yeah so um so i started my coaching strat or pre-med strategies uh, business as a coaching business. Um, I've since kind of transitioned into a more technical space or technology space. So I developed an app um, called Medic, and now I'm looking to um, really work with medical schools as well as pre-med students to kind of put them together, um, in particular underrepresented minority students um, who may not have access um, to building relationships and resources and information um, so that that way they can really have a direct connection with the medical school. So I've since um, transitioned into that. And then Ni mentioned earlier that he has his podcast called Docs Outside the Box. Yeah, yeah that's uh, something that I just thought would just be a passion project, but it's developed into a business now. And we're at a point where, you know, we're trying to expand. We are expanding uh, into actually like an online platform. And it's not just talking on a podcast, but it's actually building something where, you know, people who are in training mm -hmm. can learn how to take control of their careers by understanding personal finance, by understanding, you know, that there are things that are bigger than them. So, you know, maybe mm -hmm. working in a different country may be beneficial or just understanding that, listen, like you were able to understand medicine. You can't understand real estate. You can understand just some of the other things that people do and are extremely successful in their lives with. So mm. um, we've just realized that, you know, the tax code really favors businesses. Yes. Um, so mm -hmm. we, we, we want to create things that, um, and it's funny, that's the, that's the theme of this year, creativity. You know, we want to be creating things um, that are in line with our, the legacy that we want to live or leave, so to speak, which is, you know, you create your own, um, you create your own destiny. Right. right. And um, so far, that's what we've been doing. Yay. And then our last newest venture anyway is real estate. Speaking of real estate. Yeah. So uh, we currently have a property, uh, six unit property, actually. So, you know, looking to acquire more at some point. But, you know, we, we, we wow. try it. We're hanging in there, you know. <laughs> you guys, I mean, Oof. oh, my God. I'm about, to, I'm about to run the treadmill. I'm about to run. I'm about to run. I'm about to, <laughs> no, I'm about like, to get this is just good for us. But like, you know, oftentimes, what I tell people, people are like, well, how are you able to do it? And it's just like, like, for example, there was a time when I wanted to quit my podcast, right? And I had been telling this multiple times to my wife. So she literally looked at me. She's like, then quit, right? And she was like, yeah, you can quit, but you can't go back. It's like emptying out the toothpaste, mm -hmm. right? And trying to put the toothpaste back in. <laughs> so, what I mean by that is like talking to people the way I talk to people and creating the things that I wanted to do and getting people to like, you know, invest in the podcast, IE sponsors and so forth. Like you can't go back to just, just being and doing what you normally do. Right. So once she kind of just said in my face, like, yeah, go back and quit and go back to a regular, go back to a regular, you know, not even nine to five in medicine, go back to, you know, 16, 18 hour work days. <laughs> okay. Six days a week. Yep. You want to do that? You want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> like oh yeah that's true like this is really passion for me right, right. So whatever is frustrating me and makes me want to leave i just have to make it better yeah so when people say well how are you able to do that it's just like well for us like this is what we enjoy doing mm -hmm. and going back and doing just what people would consider to be normal just doesn't work for us 
you know, right. so. So the way that we work, it's part of our student loan, you know, loan debt payoff um, story kind of goes into how we currently work. And so as an OBGYN, a lot of times people are like, oh, you must be so busy. The babies are all coming at all times <laughs> in the night. And yes, baby do, you know, babies do come all times in the night and during the day or whatever. Uh, but I no longer, I no longer actually work the way a normal OBGYN works. So I mentioned earlier um, that we have kids. We have two little boys, mm -hmm. um, four and 20 months. And um I stay home primarily with them and I work only one weekend a month. The only reason I was able to do that is because we paid off our student loans. Mm -hmm. If we don't have to pay that big bill every single month, then, you know, that's one less thing that we have to worry about. That's actually even less income that, that we even have to make. Right. So I'm able to stay home with them because we paid off our student loans um, and that was able, and then that made us able to also be able to, to do some of these business ventures. Um, but very quickly, I do want to add to your audience members, because uh, I don't think that they realize this, that part of the reason <laughs> we also talked about, um, no, no more, no more debt. Remember we talked about no more debt. But during the time that we were doing our debt payoff, we were also trying to have children and we found it very hard mm -hmm. to have a child. And we started doing IVF for two and a half years of those three years that we were doing our student loan debt payoff. And we did that with no debt. Um, and that required that we actually had to work more. So at the time we were actually employed we were actually employed by a hospital, but then we were also doing that side gig that Nee talked about, the Equal Access Health, where it was only the two of us working extra. So I would actually work like Monday, Wednesday, or no, I would work Tuesday, Thursday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then I would do extra work like Friday, yeah, extra shifts, um, Friday into Monday, literally traveling, you know, four or five hours to go and work and then come back and then work again at my regular job. Like, so we were doing all of this just to have children. Needless to say, we ended up having our children, not because of IVF. But that's a totally different <laughs> story because it never actually worked. Um, but, but I do want your audience to know that, you know, sometimes that, that debt has consequences that you don't even realize that it's going to have and potentially, that debt was going to cost us having a family, mm. you know, and that that for me would have been a very tragic thing that, man, I can't even have a child because I can't afford, you know, to to do the 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 procedures that it takes to be able to to get to that point. And unfortunately, a lot of us find ourselves in that situation where we can't even afford to have our own children. So um, but I did want to mention that there were times where we would, you know, for two weeks, I would be in a different state working working every month so for about seven months like we would i would work for two weeks straight and then i would be off for two weeks and i would during those two weeks where i was off i would go work at another facility everything wow. that i used everything that we gained from working at the other facility everything that we gained um from working at the other facility or from the additional shifts we put straight into either paying for ivf or paying off student loan debt so mm -hmm. you know it's just one of those things like she said it's we're speaking from the school of hard knocks because we've been through it and understanding that money is not this thing that you just hoard. It's just literally a tool. And for us, you know, unfortunately it didn't work for us, but it really helped us to understand that mm -hmm. anything can happen. And if we have really good behaviors, i.e. saving our money the right way and so forth, you know, for the most part, most emerging we can handle, we can take it, we can handle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, thank you so much for, for sharing, yeah, you know, the amazing, mm -hmm. you know, story and, and, you know, the, the challenges and how you overcame adversity. Um, it's definitely something that our listeners will learn and, and hopefully, you know, they take some of the similar actions that you did. Mm -hmm. So last question that I have for you guys is, you know, for anyone who's listening right now, uh, what's something actionable that they can do today? Ooh. What could they do today? Oh, there's so many things. <laughs> I, I would say the first actionable thing that they should do is continue to surround themselves with uh, your podcast or other forms of media where people are taking care of 
student loan debt in a way that uh, makes sense, right? Understanding mm-hmm. that loans are not something you keep around like a pet or like a plant. Um, understanding that, you know, the way how you can make yourself grow financially um, is by investing and so forth. I think that's the number one thing is to surround yourself with that. And that's what we did. Like before we even started paying off debt, remember, we would listen to podcasts, mm-hmm. we would read blogs, we would go to YouTube channels. And mm-hmm. That's how we found his and her his money. And her money. Mm-hmm. And just like, look, look at this, like they're investing mm-hmm. in this way or they're paying off debt in this way. I didn't know this. And then I would just go down this rabbit hole of just reading more and more. And I think it's really about the perspective of once you realize what's out there, it's like literally a toothpaste. Like you, once it comes out, you can't put it in. (laughs) Once you understand that you, that debt is not any of those things that you should be keeping for a long period of time. Then when someone, when you have a car payment, you're like, well, yeah, I should pay it off as quick as possible. Mm -hmm. Or if I have a credit card debt, I shouldn't be paying the minimums or you know, so. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned his or her money. That's actually where we got theming our years from. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Each one, each one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Lift as we I, mean, mm-hmm. I would say an actionable step that people should be taking, especially, you know, couples. I would say really talk about what you want this relationship to look like over time. Right. And in doing so, recognize how you expect to grow together and figure out what are the things that you need in order to do that. And I don't know that, you know, I know that that's something that we do. You know, we talk about how we expect to grow together, um, what the next five years looks like for us. Uh, But I don't know that everybody does that, right? Especially when you have kids, it's so it's just so mm-hmm. hard, right? Because they're just always there and they're just, you know, and you don't have time, blah, blah, blah. Drop them kids off. Okay. <laughs> Drop them kids off somewhere. Take three days, take a three-day vacation. Mm-hmm. And seriously, just sit down and talk about what do we want this life to look like? You know, the the marriage that you got into was very intentional, right? You literally chose this person. Will you marry? Somebody said, will you marry me? And the other person said, yes. You took the time to plan whatever wedding you it is that you had or whatever honeymoon you were going to have. And it's like, it can't end there, right? The intentionality cannot end there. It has to continue. So what, what does it look like when we're 40? What does it look like when we're 50, 60, 70, 80? What does it look like for our children when we are no longer around, right? Because we talk about, and I know you guys talk about that a lot is the generational wealth as well. And generational wealth isn't just about money. It's also about, it's also about principles and values. What are you passing along to your children? That intentionality is so very important. And if they see that you are intentional in your relationship, then hopefully they will also be intentional in their relationships to make it healthy. Because let me tell you something, two people who see money even in the same light, okay? It doesn't necessarily mean that this relationship is golden. It's not the money that's making your relationship work. Mm -hmm. It's the two people who come together with the principles and values that they want to live by. Um, And, you know, that, that is really what holds a marriage together. So that's what I would say, because then the money that will come, but you got to be, you have to be there first in your relationship. You have to be present and intentional. Wow. I mean, you looking like you want to say amen, girl. I know I do like this. <laughs> amen, I, amen. I got goosebumps, you know, like have conversations about how you're going to grow together. Like that yes. is huge. Like it doesn't stop after your wedding yeah. day or your honeymoon. Like you mm-hmm. continuously have to be intentional like, yeah. I mean, and, and uh, you know, I was just thinking, I was like, we we talk so much now, like it, it's it's growing in our community about investing, but we have to invest in our marriages, yeah. invest in our relationships, like because much like invest in the compound. So will your marriage if you invest into it. So mm-hmm. that's what I was just hearing. And I was just like, I know it's going to touch someone who's listening right now. Yeah. And, you know, that thank you so much for coming on and just sharing your story and, and, you know, lessons that you learned along the way. Yeah, you guys are such an inspiration. Like, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Like, you, oh. you two are just amazing and like just good for us, like just to be surrounded by couples like you um, who are just just 
achieving, you know, and like that motivates us to, you know, like if, you know, just having examples of people that are doing it and crushing it is motivation for us to just keep moving forward, you know? And it's so important that, you know, as you move up the elevator that you send it back down to help others, you know, Mm -hmm. go to the second floor, third floor and so on and so forth. So, and you guys are doing that. That's something that we believe in as well. And, you know, we just thank you so much for coming on. So lastly, where can everyone find you? Uh, Social security, everything. Can you just pass it to me? <laughs> One, two, three, four, five. With that new house, huh? Right. Um, so you can find me at Dr. Renee Darko. That's D-R-R-E-N-E-E. D-A-R-K-O, all over social media. Uh, me, you can find me, Dr. Nee Darko. That's D-R-N-I-I-D-A-R-K-O. If you're looking for us kind of, you know, talking more, if you go to Docs Outside the Box on your favorite podcast uh, player, anywhere where you download podcasts, Google Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere, um, type in Docs Outside the Box. There's plenty of episodes with me and her talking mm-hmm. about just life as two professionals. It's not just for doctors, um, but we talk about what's going on in our lives. We talk about marriage and all those different things also. So you can check us out there. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. This yes. has been uh, truly a, a pleasure and we we thank you so much for coming on and, you know, let's, let's uh, lift as we climb. Let's, <laughs> let's build Generation Wealth together. Let's get intentional. Let's get intentional. Let's get rich by intention. Hey, right? guys. Thanks. Thank so you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. If you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button and leave a review. Remember, it all starts with intention. See you next week.